Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Janovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now, you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Live from Utah's Capitol Hill, this is Eye on the Hill. 15 days remaining. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. Well, good morning. If the Utah State Legislature were the Super Bowl, we'd be at halftime right now, Dave. Uh, you know what? I like the comparison. Uh, There's about 15 days left. That's exciting. One unique thing about this legislature is they tackled a lot of the big controversial stuff in the beginning. Sometimes in years past, they've left it to these final 15 days when all sorts of chaos happens. So now I think they're uh, doing a little bit of tying up loose ends, uh, but... It's uh, it's great to be up here, exciting to, to see what's already been passed and what's going to happen in the next 15 days. Now, typically at 9.07, we do the launch, but uh, since we're out here live, we're going we're gonna to boot the launch. But if the launch were being done today, it would be brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Throughout the next three hours, we will have a ton. We will pack a lot of coverage in on what's going on and bring you up to date on what has happened up here on the Hill and what lies ahead for the uh, second half of the 2024 general session of the Utah State Legislature. We want to begin with uh, what is happening right now with the state school board and their decision regarding state school board member Natalie Klein. Uh, Late last night, they all but incapacitated uh, her as a state school board member. Uh, They took a unanimous vote. Um, And let me go through the list of things uh, that they, um, discipline that they've enacted against uh, state school board member Natalie Klein. Uh, I have, in my 30 some odd years of covering news uh, in Utah, I have never seen um, this type of discipline um, handed out to a state school board member, Dave. Uh, the list, and let me read them off one by one. Uh, they voted to remove her from her committee assignments. Okay. Um, the second action that they took is uh, they will not allow her going forward to put items on the board's agenda for consideration. So any project that she wants to move forward. Or, or her constituents. Or, or her constituents. Obviously, she's representing. Where is she representing again? What what section? So she represents uh, several parts of Utah County, including Lehigh, American Fork, Alpine, uh, which, by the way, is home to the largest school district in the entire state. And she also represents a smaller portion of the south end of Salt Lake County, Bluffdale. Okay, so she's lost her committee assignments. She can't put any items on the agenda, okay? They've also asked for her resignation. Which is not surprising, right? It seems like everybody has asked for her resignation, but uh, there's there's no indication so far from her or her camp that resignation is on the board. Now, let me just backtrack to last week at about this time when we were covering this story as it was developing. This all begins last week when Natalie Klein, a school board member for the state school board, uh, posts a photo on Facebook of a girls' high school basketball player Uh, The player's photo, it appears to have come from a team flyer uh, with her picture on it. 
and also uh, Castle 5 Television's Shelby Lofton, who spoke with the family, said it looked like as well from a, one of those banners. Uh, they, they take those pictures of the athletes across you know many high schools, oh, and yeah. they hang them in gyms. So it appeared to come from one of those banners with the caption on that Facebook post, girls basketball, dot, dot, dot. Um, and it was several hours before Natalie Klein removed that post. And by then, commenters had it certainly implied the girl is transgender uh, just by looking at her body type. Um, she is not transgender. And her parents immediately responded and uh, in that response requested that Natalie Klein resign her post uh, as a state board member. And as you said, she has not. And her parents have, have admitted their daughter is a little bit of a tom, tomboy, likes to wear baggy clothes, uh, you know, goes to the gym all the time. So uh, the assumption from a school board member and the accusation that she is playing illegally, quite honestly, is what the accusation is. Because here in the state of Utah, uh, transgender females uh, can only play on a girl's team after jumping through, quite honestly, a, a lot of different hoops. And, and uh, to my knowledge, um, that hasn't happened yet here in Utah. Now, you live in a totally different part of the state. She's yes. not a representative for you on the state school board. But how are you feeling if you found out your state school board members removed from her committee assignments, can't put items on the board's agenda, and uh, has been asked to resign by the highest board that oversees uh, the operations of our schools and the protections of kids, and uh, she still she has not tendered that resignation. How would you feel if you were a voter or a parent in that that area? Number one, I didn't realize the role. I don't know a lot about the school board mm. and, and what their representation looks like. It sounds it, like it's very similar to the legislature. So uh, oftentimes in the last several years, uh, Congress has done this to members where they've been unhappy with they, what they've tweeted or what they've said, and they will censure them, and they will remove uh, committee assignments. That's happened to several Republicans. Uh, I'm thinking specifically our Marjorie Taylor Greene. That, that happened. So there, there's some similarity in what the punishment is because when you have an elected official – you just can't fire them. There's not an easy yeah, way to parent, do it. but as a parent, I'm thinking, well, what good is that then? I mean, she's not going to be of any uh, – I mean, she, she, it seems as though um, she will have absolutely very little role now on the school board. It's just almost like she's uh, been put in the peanut gallery, so to speak. That's how I view it. If I were a parent in that area, whether it's you know living in Alpine or the south end of Salt Lake County, and I found out my school board member, first of all, has made this post, yeah. which she did uh, take down and apologize for. But by then, I mean, this child has been... Uh, you know, harassed and bullied in the public square by a lot of adults uh, on that Facebook post. So that, to me, as a parent, would be absolutely inexcusable that one of my state board members uh, was involved in that kind of activity at all to begin with. But then now, I mean, what's what? It's like is she, what is, what is her role now? I mean, you know, what good she, is she going to do for me as a parent if I have a problem? Uh, with something that's going on at the state level or at my school level. Technically speaking, it sounds like they've removed so many of her responsibilities and a lot of her power, but she is still a state school board member. She still has 
uh, a voice. She can still speak to things. She can still advocate, maybe not officially, but she certainly can still uh, voice her opinion and, and be influential. I don't know uh, how often the boards take votes. I don't see anywhere where they've removed her ability to vote. To vote. Okay. So that would, again, maybe technically she can't uh, push her own agenda, but that's not to say from what I've read and what we're looking at that she doesn't have any influence. She can still vote. She's still a voting member from what I can see. KSL 5 Television's Lindsay Ertz has been joining us uh, throughout this entire story as it's been developing. She was at last night's school board meeting. Uh, she joins us in just a few min minutes to give us uh, the lay of the land. What can Natalie Klein do now to represent her constituents in a pretty big uh, area of uh, Utah County and also the southern area of Salt Lake County? Lindsay's on the line next. A special edition of Dave and Dejanovic, Eye on the Hill, 15 days remaining on KSL News Radio. We are live on the Hill, and one of the questions we'll be asking of Lindsay Ertz in just a few moments with KSL 5 Television is what can the legislature do or what is uh, in their purview to deal with Natalie Klein, the state school board member, the state board of education delivering some pretty hefty punishment to her last night in a unanimous vote. Uh, Natalie Klein did not answer the call when she was asked by the chair to weigh in on the vote. Um, but uh, they have essentially asked for her resignation. They have removed her day from committee assignments and uh, as well as uh, not allowing her to add items to the school board's agenda for consideration. I think that's significant as you were describing that, that they asked her if she wanted to weigh in on this vote. Uh, and even though she didn't answer, I think that speaks to the power that she still has. Since she posted that photo of that teen uh, basketball player who plays in the Granite District uh, to Facebook uh, last week, she has been met with calls to resign from local city governments, uh, from school districts and school boards, as well as some calls from lawmakers and um, uh, Deidre Henderson. Uh, one of the top leaders in the state, the uh, lieutenant governor, uh, has also said that she believes that uh, Natalie Klein is unfit to serve. She has not resigned. Let's get live right now with KSL News Radio's, excuse me, former KSL News Radio <laughs> political mm -hmm. reporter, oh. now with KSL 5 TV. Uh, we love the fact that we have this great working partnership with our colleagues at KSL 5 Television, Lens. Um, so at this point, I guess my question is, is what can and Natalie Klein do to represent the people of Utah County and the southern end of Salt Lake County at this point as a school board member? Well, she still has a vote as a member of the State Board of Education. And so that is significant um, that she can still vote because one of the punishments here is, you know, she's kind of alleging that her district won't have representation. And that's one of the big things of this conversation is do we let the voters decide, you know, her punishment through the ballot box or do the, the bodies uh, take some sort of action here? And so Natalie Klein can still cast a vote and she can still comment uh, publicly in uh, at the State Board of Education. What she can't do is, you know, have an influence on what policy gets put on agendas and stuff like that. So that's significant. 
Um, she, you know, she'll get a formal reprimand and the board is calling on her to resign. So the board took virtually as many steps as they have the power to do in the punishment. And they deliberated over this for three hours yesterday at the State Board of Education uh, in a closed session. So they really took as much action as they could and, and legally and constitutionally have the ability to do. So now it kind of turns to the legislature um, to decide what they're going to do. And, and reporters just got out of a meeting with the House leadership and essentially they're weighing this option of whether to impeach, whether to not. But they, they do say they will not do nothing. Right. So they are going to do something. But what that looks like is still the question. So the options are like a censure. Maybe they create some laws with some very specific uh, end dates. Right. Uh, giving different groups power, whether it's the state board or perhaps the governor, they could still decide to impeach. But they're just really weighing how serious in nature impeachment is. First of all, a censure hasn't been done in a really long time, the House tells us. And then also, uh, the House Speaker just made, um, uh, he just seemed worried about the slippery slope of impeachment. Is this the precedent they want to open the door for impeachment? And he's also weighing how that impacts the family, because he said he's been in constant communication with the girl's family. They are actually this morning saying they support the legislature impeaching Natalie Klein, even though uh, the House Speaker has real concerns about this blowing up nationally if this if their body votes to impeach Natalie Klein. So just some big things that they're weighing right now. Was there any indication, Lindsay, how long this uh, committee assignment punishment where she's been removed from all committee assignments uh, will last? Is this for the, the remaining and, yeah. parts of, of her term, which is probably, yeah. what, 10 months? Yeah, so this was effective immediately, and they put this in the resolution, and then it lasts through, I think, the end of 24, right? The end yeah, of this the end year, of the year, right? Lindsay, she's, yeah, she's up for re-election yeah. in November, so her term goes through the 1st of 25, but, right? But the question so, is, she's re-elected, then I guess, uh, and, and she does have a competitor, or at least one competitor in the race that I'm aware of, and if she is, if Klein is re-elected, I, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see what becomes of those those punishments, Right. Yeah. The punishments don't extend past uh, the end of her term. So, yeah, if she is reelected, then maybe it's another conversation. But we're not that far yet. Was there as you were talking about impeachment, uh, it does sound like it's going to have to come at least the proceedings, the beginnings of it would have to start from the legislature, because there was an indication that uh, the legislature thought that the state school board uh, could take that uh, that power. Well, so the power to impeach is with the legislature and not just the legislature, but the House of Representatives. They are the ones who have to initiate impeachment proceedings. It's the same at the federal level, right? So they would have to issue a resolution with articles of impeachment. That's how it would start. Now, there is a bill file open right now to address the issue with Natalie Klein. But what that specific resolution is going to say is still up in the air. And that's what House uh, leadership and the caucus, the majority caucus and the minority caucus and all the members of the House are are sifting through right now. So any action that comes against Klein is going to start in the House, whatever it is. Okay. Um, and Senate leaders have made that clear as well, that they're le letting the House take the lead on this. So, uh, again, the House Speaker has said 
they will not do nothing. Um, but what that action is, is we're still trying to, to get that sorted out. They haven't decided, really. Lindsay, I just want to let our listeners who are tuning in know we're talking live with Lindsay Ertz of KSL 5 Television. She has been very closely following the developments with state school board member Natalie Klein. Uh, Last night, it was probably about 6 o'clock, which felt late for me, Um, but it was about 6 p.m. last night, 6.30, that the state school board took a unanimous vote to um, implement several layers of punishment. Uh, They asked for her resignation. They will censure Natalie Klein as well. They have removed her from committee assignments. They will not allow her to put any items on the state school board agenda. Uh, going forth until the end of the year. Um, She is up for re-election. And one thing I noticed is, um, Linz, uh, in the last minute or so that we have left, is that when she, her name was called for the vote last night, it was either a silent response or she just wasn't there. A bit of a surprise to me, given the fact that she has posted so much information about this um, on Facebook, including that original post of this child. Um, She wasn't there. And and Deb, that's a good point. She wasn't there. She was allowed to be there. She was allowed to come. She was allowed to speak. She was allowed to speak publicly. We in the media have reached out to her several times. So one of the, I think, frustrations for people, um, perhaps on the State Board of Education, is they're saying, You're claiming that you don't have, you haven't been given due process, but here we are giving you the opportunity to come and speak and cast your vote and speak publicly about why these punishments shouldn't come, and she didn't show. Lindsay Ertz, thank you for joining us from KSL Television. Uh, And there's still uh, yet no indication that she is going to resign, Dave. At this point, Uh, there's been several calls for her to do so, including from the family. And you just heard from Lindsay that the family has uh, the girl's family has uh, shown their support uh, for the House to proceed with with impeachment, if that's what they so choose to do. Yeah. And that will be an important part of it. And I will be curious and uh, to know if the House does impeach, is it similar to the 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 federal government where the senate has to remove her uh and if they could choose uh looking at uh senator luce escamilla who's nodding her head is that correct senator uh i believe let's see let's do this uh can you just stay with us for three or four minutes senator and we'll ask you that question straight ahead Live from Utah's Capitol Hill, this is Eye on the Hill. 15 days remaining. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. With the State Board of Education severely incapacitating Natalie Klein, um, removing her from committees as a state board member, also um, banning her from adding um, items to the state school board agenda calling on her resignation, the state school board joining multiple other entities and calling for her resignation. The question now turns to Capitol Hill and what can lawmakers on Capitol Hill do to initiate, if they so choose to, uh, impeachment hearings um, and or removal from office completely for Natalie Klein. It does seem like the Utah State Board of Education has done as much as they can right now, removing committee assignments, uh, taking away her ability to put uh, 
things onto the agenda, but she still can vote, and that is a huge part of this. She still is a board member. She still has a, a vote. She has influence. She can speak to all these things. Senator uh, Luz Escamilla, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you just ran in here to sit down with us here. Thank we you. appreciate it. We love being up here live at the Capitol. Of course, just a few weeks left in the legislative session. Uh, what do you see on the horizon uh, for school board member Natalie Klein when it comes to you know Capitol Hill's abilities to do something about this so uh, first I, I I'm very appreciative that the state board took as many actions as they can within their capacity so one of the things we can do and that's possible we still are in the middle of a session is provide the state board of education with the ability to impeach because right now they don't have it so just to be clear people are like why is the legislature getting involved is because we're the only ones that have that ability to impeach any elected official <clears throat> included in this case um, and Natalie Klein. So I, just to be clear, we could provide that ability and that mechanism to them through our legislative process because we're in the middle of a session. If not, Sorry, let me just dive into that just a, a little bit. So you say you would provide them the opportunity, the, the state school board, to make yeah, that decision? Yeah, through a statute, that they can do that. Yeah. Okay. Because right now so they you would, have it. So the House wouldn't be making the vote to impeach? No, that's You'd... another process. So you oh, okay. can have an impeachment process through the legislature, which is what we have in our hands, and we are able to do that. We've done it before with um, Swallow, John Swallow. We started a whole impeachment attorney process. General, attorney General, former. Ge former attorney general. Yeah. Um, and I was here. So that starts in the House. And they're the ones that have to open uh, the, the Speaker of the House convenes the House for purposes of impeachment. In this case, we're in session. So that, you know, that ability is available. And then the Senate serves a copy of the articles of impeachment to the impeach officer. And we start a whole process to convene the purpose of impeachment trial. So that happens. We've done it before. That's our, our, our disposal, right? Like that's an availability piece, but it's a time consuming piece. And that's why I think the first thing we did is, can you please resign? Like you got yourself in this, this is horrendous. This is a minor, this is a child's, I mean, just the whole thing, uh, bad taste, just wrong in so many levels. So, but we do have those two mechanisms. One, either give the State Board of Education that, you know, ability to do that. It has to go through a bill and codified and everything, or we start our own impeachment process, right? Just to remind our listeners who are just tuning in, and I know that those of you who have been with us from the beginning have heard this multiple times, but for those who are just figuring out, what, trying to figure out what we're talking about, uh, Natalie Klein, a state school board member, uh, last week posted a photo of a child. Uh, she's a girls basketball player in the Granite District to her Facebook page uh, with uh, two words and three dots, girls basketball dot, dot, dot. Um, and then many adult commenters on Natalie Klein's Facebook page went after this girl, bullying her, harassing her. Um, and implied that she was transgender. The child is not transgender. Her family, her parents have spoken out publicly, including to KSL 5 television and other media organizations asking for Natalie Klein's resignation. And at this point, Natalie Klein has not resigned. She did not show up for last night's vote at the school board meeting where they took some pretty serious the most i've seen in my many years as a journalist here my 30 years here as a journalist in utah um that i've ever seen a taken against a school board member in form of, of of punishments so if the house and it it looks possible that the house could initiate impeachment proceedings they would give that uh basically give the the state school board 
the responsibility to make that determination? No. Whether, no, or, no. If we start okay, impeachment so proceedings, stays here in the legislature. Okay, completely. But you can also provide the ability for impeachment. I mean, that could be also a possibility, right? We can open a bail file and say, now the state board has the ability to impeach their own members. But that hasn't happened no, yet. No, that hasn't happened. But it's, I mean, we have, we have a lot of tools in the toolbox, right? Everybody's trying to figure out what to do. One of the things, I, and I, I agree with President Adams, we were doing multiple media availability time, is that we also have to think the impact on that family and that, that, the student. I mean, th this is just so sad so such a horrible reflection of our state that someone like that has the ability to bully and torture a child on social media and be in a position of leadership and power over our students i mean in so many levels it's like not even fiction get us to that place right this is like the it's like horror movie and now it's happening here for reals so you know i heard some of her statements that she feels she's being a victim of political whatever because of an election like, lady, you put yourself in that place. She's the one that drafted that that social media post, put it on Facebook, knowing that it was going to create that, because she has a history of doing that. This is not the first time. She didn't wake up that morning saying, oh, maybe I'm just going to put this dot, dot, dot question, whatever. She's done this before. So there's a history. There's a, a, there's precedent. It's just it's heartbreaking that we, you know, there are still people defending. I don't know what you, this, there's no way you can defend bullying a child as an adult to begin with, especially if you are a position of leadership like that. State Senator Luz Escamilla, um, she is the minority leader in the Senate, uh, live with us here on Capitol Hill. As I've looked through Utah code, criminal code, regarding you know bullying of a child on social media, I just, uh, maybe you can help clarify, I, it's this, on the one hand, the state is doing all it can to make sure social media companies are compliant with new legislation for age requirements and for protecting kids about what's seen on social media. Has there been any discussion on Capitol Hill about putting into code some tougher criminal penalties for adults go after children on social media pages in Utah? So I passed legislation, I want to say 2014 and then 2017, on um, harassment, bullying, and cyberbullying in school. So for the education kind of like world, it's not a criminal, um, you know, penalties uh, by no means. It's a school, you know, kind of like process to start a process. The State Board of Education has that process in place. So, I mean, I to me, she's in violation of that statute as well. Um, but, yeah, we, we haven't done anything in terms of, of criminal. Uh, the in the tricky part, and we are looking into that, right, um, what type of evidence you will need to bring some type of criminal activity and who enforces that type of, of actions. I think in this case, um, you know, cyberbullying is real and it's scary and it's out there and that's why we're doing some other, taking other measures to at least people should be educated and especially children and youth to understand um, just how scary it is to be out there. But in this case, it's not like this um, student was engaging in social media. I mean, it's just such an odd situation. And well, we learned from our reporting at KSL 5 Television that uh, the parents waited for her to come home that day. And um, we, my understanding was she doesn't have social media, so correct. she was unaware. And so the parents were uh, told by the school district about what was going on, and then they um, told her, you know, what was going on. So she was aware. So from my understanding, I don't know that she even has a face. This child right. even the, has uh, a Facebook page. So it's, I think it's 
beyond social media and, and cyberbullying. This is a direct, to me, almost assault on someone's integrity, which is what she did. And why, the, you know, the only thing we can do at this point, and that's why we're looking to all those alternatives, but it's time consuming, right? An impeachment process is also time consuming. And it's there's a cost attached to an impeachment process because you have to have all the process in place. And, you know, she talked about due process. If there's an impeachment process, she'll have a due process for sure. Natalie Klein did remove the post. She apologized multiple times in, in the subsequent posts. Um, does that carry anything with you? Um, so I, I will say, I, I don't know about apologizing. I don't know that I can say that was an apology. There were She says apologize several and then, times in that. And then in she that. goes into saying, but, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I, I think at one point we have higher standards for elected officials, especially if you're going to be overseeing the education of children in the state of Utah and their well-being. I'm terrified. I mean, it's, I have children. It's terrifying to think that someone like that is making decisions for our children. We want to let our listeners know as well that we have, as a news organization, reached out to Natalie Klein and, of course, offer her an opportunity at any point whatsoever uh, to join our show um, or talk to other reporters um, and producers in our newsroom uh, throughout uh, the KSL organization. State Senator Luz Escamilla, we know you're so busy. Thank you, Thank you so much for taking a few minutes. I'm no, sure there's floor time starting at yes. 10. Am I still, is yes. that right? Okay, getting, so we'll let you head there. down to the Thank Senate. Thank you so much. Uh, we always appreciate your time and your input. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us and our listeners today. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk uh, water uh, Dave, you did a, an interview with a lawmaker here on Capitol Hill who's going to be busy on the floor uh, over the next few minutes to learn more about the restrictions he wants to put on what? What's he looking at? Uh, everything. <laughs> I mean, at, really? least, at least when it comes to government buildings, okay. state level, county level, Parks? city level. Ooh, that's a good question. He answers that. Parks, golf courses? Okay, that's next. A special edition of Dave and Dejanovic, Eye on the Hill, 15 days remaining on KSL News Radio. And in the next 15 days, uh, State Representative Doug Owens would love it if lawmakers would help him make sure that when the government is building a new facility, that they're building it with an eye firmly focused on conserving water for the Great Salt Lake and conserving water so we can drink it. And this is an ambitious plan in his bill. It's a very ambitious plan. The focus is less grass, more trees and shrubs. Uh, and that's kind of at the at the heart of what this bill is. Now, you had uh, asked him some questions before the show because he said, hey, I'm going to be super busy with floor time today, which we understand as we broadcast live from the Hill. We've got a lot of lawmakers scurrying in, around, in and out of the meetings and uh, down to get to floor time as well to vote. Um, what are some of the things you learned? Well, number one... Sometimes when we talk about water restrictions, it can get kind of scary, and we think, well, how this, how's this going to affect mm. our lives? Because we'll remember, when we were in the heart of the drought before this epic winter that we had this past uh, year, I mean, we were letting parks go brown. We were letting golf courses go brown. And I, I wanted to know, is that what you're talking about? What specifically are you are you looking at? Are you, like draconian, life-changing changes uh, to, to parks and areas like that? And, and this is what he said. He's like, I don't want you to think of it as new water restrictions. So I, I don't think of it as a water restriction so much as getting our house in order. You know, we need to help the Great Salt Lake. And uh, this just says that this bill that we're talking about, HB 11, says that, 
the, the government needs to have its house in order. When we build new government buildings uh, of any kind, uh, that we're going to incorporate some basic water-efficient landscaping, and it's going to benefit the lake because we're not going to use water on unnecessary grass that no one's ever going to walk on. So it's saying you can have all the, all the fields and playgrounds and cemeteries and other other things that where the grass is going to be where people actually walk on it. But if the people aren't going to walk on it, you're limited. Uh, you can only have 20% of that be grass and the rest of it, you got to have trees and shrubs. And uh, so to me, it's just kind of getting our own house in order when it comes to the lake. I think that's, I think that's a crucial part of it. Uh, When, when people think about, uh, you know, the, whether they're water restrictions or conservation, that it's just going to be a concrete jungle. Yeah. And it's important not to think that way because you know, Sometimes people go to a city like Las Vegas and look around and everybody just use rock. And that's not what we're trying to do at all. We're trying to say that we, we get a lot more bang for the water buck if we if we run drips to shrubs and trees instead of overhead spray on grass that no one walks on. So we still want to have grass where people walk on it, but we don't want to have grass where no one's going to walk on it and we get that cooling effect from trees and shrubs. So. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, we should still be a place that bl- blossoms like the rose in the desert. We're going to blossom like the rose. We're just going to blossom with trees and shrubs instead of instead of Kentucky bluegrass, like this was jolly old England and we had all the rain we wanted. I'm so guilty. I mean, I'm guilty in my own yard. So I, I guess it's not a huge surprise that we, we're doing the same thing in our government buildings. Right. We're just used to thinking that way, you know, fence to foundation grass. That's kind of everybody's go to solution for landscaping to start with. But we need to kind of nudge uh, ourselves in, uh, in in a different direction where we think of using more trees and shrubs. And, and you know, if you want the grass for your kids to play on and your grandkids like me, that's there's nothing wrong with that. But if if you, you got to think about do we really want the grass? Is anybody going to walk on this? And if the answer is no, people should start shifting away to other ways of landscaping. Because you can really get really nice traditional looks with nice shade trees and shrubs uh, with drip irrigation rather than just that default to grass. So this is this is having the government try to set a, an example for the people so we're not, you know, whacking people with a stick to change their behavior. But this is part of an educational effort to try to help people see a different way of landscaping. I would have thought this kind of stuff was already in place, but were there not any parameters? Well, there's a little bit of a restriction on state buildings, uh, state-owned buildings. This bill will kind of extend and and uh, change that a little bit even for state buildings. This will apply now to both state, county, city, schools, and new road construction. Does this take away some of the freedom that maybe local communities and cities and their ordinances that they put in place? Well, it's still, you know, it it is a restriction in the sense that you're supposed to use less non-functional turf. If if it's grass, no one's going to walk on. You're supposed to use less of it. You're limited to 20% of the area. Um, But I like to think of it as trying to, you know, you still have all kinds of freedom to choose any kind of uh, other landscaping you want there's the unlimited amount of shrub and tree trees people can choose from and uh we we just got to make a we got to pull together to do something for the great salt lake and this is a small step in the direction of 
using less water on grass. So one other important angle to this is that Utah really could use some federal help. There's a lot of money that the federal government has made available, $400 million to be exact, for non for drought relief in the West that is not in the Colorado River basins. That was Representative Doug Owens, and as he's looking to make a more uniform uh, standard when it comes to new buildings built by the government, whether it's a school uh, or, you know, a municipal building, something along these lines. He just wants to make sure that if you're not playing on the grass, if this grass is not being used or walked on or enjoyed, that you switch it from grass to trees and shrubs. Did you feel like um, this was going to be widely accepted by the state legislature? Uh, Did you get a chance to chat with him about that angle? Yeah. When I was asking him whether this is kind of getting in the local city's business, so to speak, you know, where where typically the cities are the ones that make the ordinances of how they want uh, their their city to look, that Mm -hmm. this would create a standard and maybe infringe a little bit on on what they want to do. His argument is, listen, there's tons of landscaping opportunities that that you can choose. You can choose which trees and shrubs to do, but there would be a, a basic standard. All to save the Great Salt Lake and also some drinking water. <laughs> um, we are live from Capitol Hill. Uh, we are halfway through the the general session, the 2024 general session of the Utah State Legislature. I cannot believe that we're at the halfway point already. We were up here live on the first day, and here we are. We're at halftime. Uh, straight ahead, so glad that Holly Richardson, who works with the Desert News and also Utah Policy, will join us in just a few moments. I'm going to say one word, um, fireworks. Yeah, lawmakers talking about fireworks on Capitol Hill. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Janovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Yeah, you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Live from Utah's Capitol Hill, this is Eye on the Hill. 15 days remaining. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. And just like that, we're in the third quarter. <laughs> I've been saying we're in halftime up at the state legislature, and after an hour of saying that, somebody decided to get in my ear at the station and be like, Deb, <laughs> it's a 45 day session, and we have 15. I know it's a 45 day session. Um, I just don't do math well, but we're in the third quarter now up here on the uh, on Capitol Hill, and boy, we have covered a ton of mileage today. Amanda Dixon up here live this morning did a great job bringing uh, listeners of Utah's Morning News up to date on all that is happening up here and has happened on Capitol Hill. We've talked water um, in the last hour and some new restrictions that are being considered. Uh, we've also talked about what the legislature can and maybe can't do when it comes to impeachment of state school board member Natalie Klein. And going forward in just a few minutes, we're going to speak live with Holly Richardson. She's the editor of Utah Policy, also does great work for the Deseret News on the hot topics on the Hill this week. Well, I, I think what was unique, and Holly joins us right now. Uh, Holly, uh, thanks 
I I was fascinated because this legislature is run a little bit differently than those in the past where they tackled a lot of the big ones early on, you know, the kind mm-hmm. of the controversial stuff instead of saving it toward the the end of the session. That's right. <laughs> they did. They tackled the, some of the big ones with the transgender bathroom bill and with the anti-DEI bill that they passed right at the beginning. But look, we're you're right that it's halfway in some regards because we have only passed, the legislature has only passed 119 bills so far. But by the end of, what is it, two weeks from tomorrow, they will have passed over 500 bills. So they're really just really ramping up. Holly Richardson of Utah Policy and also does uh, great work as well with the Desert News um, uh, on the line with us live right now. Are you on the Hill right now, Hall? I am not. I'm working remotely today, but... But look, I can follow everything, which is really great about the Utah Isn't it legislature. Amazing? So when I covered the legislature in the '90s, which I know I've been told by lawmakers is a long time ago, um, we didn't have <laughs> that ability to cover all of the meetings. We had to, you know, remotely. We had to be yeah. in all of the meetings, and so we couldn't even yeah, toggle between right. meetings. We were always running um, from meeting to meeting. Um, talk about. Uh, I saw a Utah policy today, or an email you, you guys put out about a um, fireworks uh, amendment. Anytime I mention the word fireworks, the crowd goes nuts because they feel like that's going to be more restrictions on their beloved Woo-hoo. fireworks, you know, because we wouldn't want the cul-de-sac dads uh, up in arms today. So what do you know about fireworks this session, Hall? So this bill is actually, um, will make your listeners happy because it is to allow one additional day of fireworks in the state of Utah, and that's Constitution Day. So September 17th, unless it falls on a Sunday, and then you can celebrate on September 16th, and it would legalize fireworks from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. on that day. September 17th? What a yeah. I mean, that's I mean, wild. Every, like, it's always in July. Does like, that just feel like a random holiday <laughs> so they can do more fireworks? It, I mean, it's yeah, Constitution it kind of, Day, you know. Debbie. <laughs> What's Constitution the feedback Day. on that? I, You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that this bill will have um, a lot of support. We'll see if it makes it all the way through. Like, like I said, it's a little bit late in the session, even though there's going to be a ton of bills that pass in the next couple of weeks. Can can someone forgive me here? I, I didn't realize Constitution Day was a day. Was, was this one of those days that we always knew as something, but it got renamed? No, this one this one actually has been around for quite a while. And um, Utah and at least uh, some of the political parties in Utah have celebrations every September, uh, usually the weekend right around Constitution Day. But, yeah, that is the that is a day that's been recognized for a number of years. There's also, um, and I heard this on Utah's Morning News as well this morning, um, something, uh, legislation regarding special education that you're following closely, Holly. What is that? Yeah, this one is a really great um, idea. This one comes from Representative Jetkins, who's in Provo. And what she's proposing is a grant program that would pair a general education teacher and a special education teacher to work together to help kids with um additional needs in their education process. And one of the things they think will happen is it will allow more kids with specially, um, special ed needs, like children with Down syndrome, some children with autism, to be able to be mainstreamed in their local neighborhood school and not have to go to, quote unquote, a special school. Um, this bill was heard in committee this morning and passed out with a favorable recommendation. So we'll see where it goes, but it sounds, Good. I think, very positive and creative. So, it. so how would that work with a, 
uh, what, is it a, an assistant, like a teaching aide that would come in and help uh, be uh, be allowed no. to help in, in addition? No, what it would do is allow um, the local education agency, the LEA, to apply for grant money that would allow both of these teachers to work together. So this would be additional time from their regular classroom duties. But, for example, um, general education teachers a lot of times don't have additional training in how to work with children with special needs. And so they would work together to come up with lesson plans and a way to integrate those kinds of things. Holly, before we let you go, I see on your list here, um, Kira Birkeland is Representative Kira Birkeland is sponsoring something regarding bicycles. What is that? That's right. <laughs> so, so I, I didn't even know this, but no, Utah law interesting actually, one. Utah law requires that you keep at least one hand on the handlebars if you're riding a bicycle or a moped. Now, when I was a teenager and used to bike to school in California, I went hands-free as much as I could. So, <laughs> so who of knew? Um, but this bill, of course, you you're showing off. Keep... We all did that, <laughs> right? Right. This bill would say you don't have to keep your hands on the handlebars. You can ride hands-free, but you have to take into consideration weather and road conditions. You're telling me all the times I rode hands-free showing off was illegal. <laughs> I actually don't know when that law was put into place, to be honest, but right now um, Representative Brooklyn's trying to take it off so that, so that other teenagers can do the same thing. <laughs> Well, Holly, you do such a great job. Uh, please keep us posted. I mean, some of these we laugh at, but honestly, they're curious yeah. to me. Um, hands-free bicycle riding, something I'll never do again. But um, <laughs> Those days are over, Deb. Yeah. Holly Richardson, Mine editor do. of Utah Policy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stay safe out there and always wear a helmet, my friend. <laughs> also writes for the Desert News. You can catch her, her articles at utahpolicy.com um, and also at Desert. Uh, com. Okay, so th- this this is kind of fascinating that we passed a law that said no more hands-free biking. You have to have at least one hand on, and we passed that law, and now Representative Berkland is looking to get rid of it. I, I, it's fascinating. That's so detailed. Uh, I, I had no idea. Uh, next, I just saw uh, State Senator Mike McHale walk in the room. Um, there's some new legislation that's being, well, the legislation regarding social media and restrictions when it comes to uh, kids using social media has been tweaked up here on Capitol Hill. I read the legislation this morning, but thankfully, Senator McHale uh, joining us in just a few minutes to walk us through the changes uh, that will impact Utah families. Straight ahead. A special edition of Dave and Dejanovic, Eye on the Hill, 15 days remaining on KSL News Radio. We're live right now with State Senator um, Mike McHale on Capitol Hill. Just stopped by the room that Dave and I um, and our entire team has set up shop in here on Capitol Hill today. We're going to talk about social media restrictions. Um, if you haven't heard by now, the legislature passing laws uh, to restrict um, minors on social media and without parents' permission, they wouldn't be allowed to sign up. Um, and there's been some changes made to those laws, and we want to talk about how those are going to impact Utah families going forward, Dave. I think we're learning a little bit uh, as we walk along. I, you know, you look at, in the history, you look at all the studies that have been done and how impactful how how poorly social media has impacted our our children i think we're still trying to figure out how to parent 
this yeah. uh, because we're brand new to it. Senator McHale joining us right now. Uh, I, <laughs> I'd like to say, you know, it, it would be great if we could always bring, you know, legislation that was just, you know, nicely put together and perfect and figured. But it, I, it feels like we're kind of learning along the way of like, what is even possible? What can we do? You know what? Let me just say it is fun having you guys on Capitol Hill. Thank you. And it's good seeing your entire team up here. But but we are learning along the way. One of the things that was interesting in our committee hearing yesterday, for those that tuned in, I actually brought experts from all over the world. We we had we had several folks that were back east. We had a uh, a researcher, a scientist from NYU that that actually looked at the data, tied. Uh, the state has a compelling state interest. We are hurting kids with social media. We brought those experts to really make a case. We had an expert that actually zoomed in from London who deals with data privacy. We had a data privacy expert that looked at breaches and, and what that impact looks like. And we made a really compelling case for taking additional steps yesterday. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to make sure it was clear why the state of Utah is taking action. I, I think we're all seeing the impact, the mental health impact, this crisis. But I wanted to make sure we built a strong legislative record. And that's what we did yesterday. Senator McHale, walk us through um, where things are at right now. I know earlier this session, the legislature uh, voted to put the age verification component um, on hold until the first part of October. Yeah. It's a six-month hold for now, just a pause to kind of get things ironed out. So so where are we at, and what would this uh, your uh, new proposals mean to Utah families if they pass? Yeah, a great question. So a lot of the same concepts and principles will still be there. We're still looking for some age assurance. We want to make sure there's a different experience for minors, and, and that's one thing that you'll see in the legislation. We, we have a different set of standards for minors. And and one of the things that's interesting is the, the, it's a product. And we say social media, but these are data mining companies. This is a product. And we regulate products that hurt kids. And this is a very addictive product. So we'll still have age, age assurance. That parental consent is a little different in the, in the legislation this year. The parental consent is directly tied to privacy and data collection. So if a social media company is going to collect data on your child, uh, a verified adult is going to have to is going to have to give that consent. That's where the consent is going to happen. Um, we're, we're not going to require um, consent, parental consent, for a child to access social media. But once we verify that we we do have a minor, the account's just going to be different. It's going to be a different experience for minors, and it's going to be a more safe experience for minors. What are some of the protections that would be in place to protect the minors? Um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of protections, and, and those protections re relate directly back to this addictive product. Um, push notifications, Android scrolling, the amount of time on social media, a lot of those addictive features. We're just going to disable those on a minor account, and that and that's and that's the purpose is to stop this product from being so addictive. It was interesting. We had we had experts. We had a video from a statement from the US Surgeon General and the amount of time kids are spending on social media is staggering. Most kids are on these social media accounts in excess of, of five hours a day. Um, one of the things that's interesting is your mental health declines substantially for minors when you're on social media in excess of three hours a day, which is which is a lot. There are a lot of kids that are on in excess of that. And, and really, we, we made a really compelling story 
and 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 we wanted to identify the compelling state interest. One thing that we don't typically do is make legislative findings in legislation. You'll if you read the bill, we actually make legislative mm-hmm. findings. We call out the harms by social media. We call out the harms by data collection. I mean, again, this is this is a very dangerous product, and and we it, it should be regulated. State Senator Mike McHale joining us on Capitol Hill today right now talking about uh, social media and the restrictions that his legislation is looking at implementing on social media accounts for minors. As I was reading the legislation today, Senator McHale, um, one of the things that really stood out to me is limiting what kids could share Mm -hmm. without parental consent. Um, and also uh, direct messaging. Let's get into that component. Yeah, and, and the sharing's been a real problem. So th- these are accounts that you, you're not going to be able, we're not going to index these accounts. You're not going to be able to find kids. Uh, you're going to have to be a friend. You, you, this this experience is just different for kids. And the sharing is is friend to friend. You're not sharing it out in publicly. the entire, publicly, out in the whole world. Okay. And, and, and that was a big change. And, and I think that's a helpful change based on some of the recommendations from some of the experts. So also you, with direct messaging, yeah. too. Direct messaging as well. You know, it's interesting, and I don't want to scare your listeners. I, I hope they're aware. Um, I will get groups of teenage teenage students, and I always ask the question, especially the young girls, how many of you feel like you've been contacted by somebody inappropriately that you perceived as an adult? Um, the data says about 60%. I don't know that I've ever been in a room where that where I haven't seen more than 60% of the hands go up. Um, right now, it, it is a dangerous world for our girls. There are there are a lot of, of folks that are contacting um, your daughters on social media, and that should be a concern. The data the data is in excess of 60%. I, I think as I've been out there in the public, it feels like it's higher than that to me. But that's the actual stat that that, that I've seen. We have such a strange relationship with social media because it's a part of many of our jobs. Yeah, uh, it's obviously a part of the future. Uh, there's there's not many companies out there that that don't use a lot of this. So, are you concerned at all that by restricting it and driving kids away from social media, that we're maybe taking away some learning opportunities for them to grow into future careers? That's something that we we always grapple with on on Capitol Hill. Um, right now, given given this mental health epidemic that we have and the challenges that we're facing, we really want to make sure we create a different experience for minors. Uh, we're not saying minors can't be on social media. What we're saying is once we're we've got a verified minor, they're just going to have different restrictions because the harm is so significant. And and that's what we're trying to tackle right now and I, I think that's a I think that's a fair point I mean we, we can't we can't run from it it's here it's going to be part part of part of the future but we really need to do more to protect our kids it's like a kid's account it is, <laughs> it's like a, having a kid's account I, I think you Debbie I think you've nailed it that's exactly what it is that's it, what I expect it, you to name it now <laughs> a kid's account. It is definitely a different experience. Yeah, I like. I like it. It's it's a good approach. I like it. Um, there's also this component of it that I really appreciated. It sounded like there's going to be required uh, mandatory breaks, and that might help deal with this yeah. three hour, <laughs> uh, four hour, five hours of doom scrolling that our kids find themselves in, even sometimes during school. Uh, even during school, and I think this is a problem for parents as well. I, sure. I should say that with, oh, yeah. with a little smile. I, 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 the endless scrolling is something that just shouldn't happen. The push notifications, waking up kids at night to get on social media, it's 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 a problem that we're trying to tackle. Um, one of the things that we've looked at, and, and, and there, there's some folks that say, shouldn't parents be doing this? Parents should be doing this. The algorithms are beating parents. Um, 
the algorithms are beating parents with their own personal social media use, and the algorithms are beating beating the kids with their social media use. The data the data is crystal clear on that. I mean, I mean, again, this is a very addictive product with companies that are mining data. Um, I, you know, I'm hesitant to say social media companies. These are data mining companies. They make profit by mining data, and and that's that's what they are. And I think we need to we need to have that realization that the, the privacy of our kids is is far too important to let these data mining companies take that information and use it to monetize our children. We we, we need to stop that. State Senator Mike McHale, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, lawmakers tried to tackle uh, banning cell phones uh, very recently in a, a past session um, in schools, or at least in the classroom. Um, and guess what? Parents in schools have decided they're going to do this on their own. So let's talk about that next. Live from Utah's Capitol Hill, this is Eye on the Hill. 15 days remaining. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. It wasn't very long ago that Utah lawmakers uh, were considering uh, talking about a ban on cell phones in public school classrooms, and they, they basically abandoned that idea. And the governor um, a few months ago sent out a letter to school districts um, and to, you know, people who run schools and said, you know, strongly consider uh, keeping cell phones out of classrooms and setting up a special area uh, for those cell phones to land while kids are in class because we know it's impacting, you know, their mental health. We know it's impacting learning. Well, now there's this new Deseret News poll, Dave, that shows almost 70% of Utahns who are asked about um banning cell phones in classrooms say, yeah, they're on board with that. So there is a ton of support for this. Can I tell you a little bit of a story this morning? <laughs> I text my 13-year-old uh, before he goes to school, and I said, hey, uh, I, I thought there was a new cell phone policy. So speaking to the the fact that I think schools are feeling emboldened and empowered to start cracking down on some of this because of what the governor said. So I had heard rumors that they were going to have a new cell phone policy. So I was like, hey, what, what's that new cell phone policy in your school? And in typical 13-year-old fashion, I get a, why? <laughs> like, don't worry about why, buddy. Just tell me what's going on. And this is what he said. He said, uh, apparently... Uh, <laughs> If you, if you get it taken away, if you're using it, teachers can take it away, and they send it to the office, and then you got to go pick it up. Uh, if it happens a second time, then you have to have a meeting with the parents. The parents got to be called in to come get it, and if it happens a third time, then it's the kid, the parents, and the principal. So I think schools oh, are starting. Oh, it escalates. Oh, yeah, it escalates. Uh, so I think schools are already starting to feel empowered emboldened they see stats like this where 70 percent of folks are like oh yeah ban phones in classrooms and now they're starting to crack down well and your child attends i don't know asks for junior specific high, yeah. junior high in the in the day in the davis county area we yeah. know um weber district has also implemented this in in certain schools we spoke uh to the district spokesperson a couple of weeks ago about it and they were, he was actually saying, you know, we're kind of surprised this has taken on a, as a news story because the schools have been doing this for a little bit of time now and everybody seems to embrace it. I think it'd be awesome as a child to be able to park your phone. And that was my experience when I told my kids to park their phones overnight because I got 
worried that they were being interrupted. Their sleep was being yep. interrupted with notifications. And maybe they woke up in the middle of the night for some reason. And then out of curiosity, they were checking their cell phones. So we had them park their phones on the kitchen counter. And my oldest child, who was still in high school one morning, said, I th I'm so grateful you did that because I didn't realize how much that was interrupting my sleep. And now let's not forget that the Granite School District um, has a, a school there. I think it was Evergreen Junior High last year, uh, Ben Horsley, good morning, that I saw on Instagram that they were asking kids to park their phones in their backpacks or not bring them into class. Am I remembering that post right? And I thought you guys are the first one through the wall on this. Uh, there's a couple of schools in our district, including Evergreen, that are bell to bell, meaning we don't want to see it on campus at all. Uh, so it can be in your backpack, should not be on your person. Um, but uh, if that gets pulled out on campus, you better have a valid reason for, for doing so. What happens if they do get caught? Uh, same type of protocol you've already kind of explained there. Uh, it's kind of a three strikes you're out uh, model where, you know, the, the, the punishments, the consequences escalate. Ben Horsley with the Granite School District live on the line uh, talking about um, kids in the Granite District uh, being asked to park their cell phones in their backpacks bell to bell. So all day long. And if they have to pull it out, there better be a a good reason to do so. I'm, I'm curious how the kids are, are feeling with their with their phones in their backpacks. You know, it, whenever you implement something like this, and some of these policies have been in place for one to two years already, so uh, it's a lot easier, obviously, if expectations are set and established well in advance. So uh, when kids know and understand uh, the restrictions and the why behind them, um, they're a lot more amenable to uh, uh, participating. They do see an uptick in their social interactions, uh, their conversations. Um, they, they do see the benefits. They don't always want to admit it, uh, but they recognize that, that they're actually in a better place as a result for it. What have you heard from teachers when it comes to cell phones? Uh, everything. Uh, this is the worst thing ever to, I don't make me manage this. Uh, I think a lot of concerns with the statewide mandate and a law that uh, teachers were looking forward to the state passing that and having the impetus to be able to say, well, it's state law, sorry. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. Um, we, we need to support teachers when they do have those policies, when they did have those policies in, in, in the past. And so this, this letter from the governor, again, has provided some additional coverage now, because we we are still seeing and hearing from some students and irate parents who want to be able to call their parent uh, their student in the middle of class, and we still see that happening on a regular basis. So uh, you can imagine that uh, teachers want to feel supported when they're trying to provide quality instruction and learning at, in the middle of class in school. One of the things that makes me a little nervous, Ben, as teachers are trying to enforce this, uh, and I've seen this on social media where kids get so hyper-protective over their phone and so afraid to let go of it that it leads into a big altercation with the teacher. I've even seen physical altercations between a teacher is trying to crack down on this. Uh, how how much of a concern is that? We've not seen that. to the Again, implementation is a huge part of this. You don't just do this one day, right? You build up to it. I, I know in my own kids' junior high with that letter, uh, they just recently enforced, uh, enacted a, a school ban. Uh, they do allow them during lunchtime, but not, a, not between class breaks. 
Um, and so it was kind of a gradual, hey, we're going to start this week. We're going to be educating kids. We're not going to take away phones. We're just going to remind them of the new policy. But then starting this next week, and that kind of alleviates as you implement that slowly, that reminds kids, gives them a chance to, to deal with that emotion uh, that comes to that, frankly, addiction uh, to their cell phone device. And, and frankly, all of us as adults would experience the same thing. So we don't want to just go cold turkey. <laughs> we want to kind of slowly, slow roll this implementation. That's true. If you took mine away for seven hours a day, I probably would hyperventilate. Ben Horsley, thank you for joining us. I want to take live phone calls uh, while we uh, continue our live coverage here from Capitol Hill. Um, would you like lawmakers to implement a statewide ban on cell phone use um, in classrooms? Let's ask for some live calls. Instead of leaving it up uh, on a district or school level or on a child and for a child to decide, do you think lawmakers need to take a stronger stance on cell phone use in classrooms by banning them during instructional time? 801-575-TALK. 801-575-TALK. Look forward to hearing your voices live. We continue our live coverage of the 2024 general session of the Utah State Legislature from Capitol Hill next. A special edition of Dave and Dejanovic, Eye on the Hill, 15 days remaining on KSL News Radio. Taking your live phone calls, 801-575-TALK, as we continue to broadcast live from Utah's Capitol Hill. And the question that we're trying to get to with our callers right now is, are you with the 69% of Utahns, according to a Deseret News uh, poll, who would like to see cell phones banned in schools. And I added a layer to that question, and that is, would you like to see lawmakers do the banning? Right now we have schools and um, districts dealing with it on a case-by-case, school-by-school basis. Yeah, and I guess kind of like parenting, every district's going to be different. Some people are going to be, I'm going to be the cool dad. And I'm going to let them have cell phones, and we're going to teach them how to use them appropriately. Then there's going to be the, you know, the, the very hardcore teacher that says, no, absolutely not, nothing, zero. If, if it's out, it's mine. And right now that's kind of how it is. There is no standard in the state that every teacher in every district can just kind of interpret and figure out how they want to enforce it on their own. We just talked to Ben Horsley, spokesperson of the Granite District, and the schools there in their district um, will, it's bell to bell, leave it in the backpack. Um, and if you take it out, it better be for a good reason. Hudson from Riverton, uh, thanks so much for calling us. Hey, I've got a comment that came from my daughter. She didn't say anything about this. It's just that I hear this from her. She says, her kids call home all the time on their cell phone, and they can't get away from their cell phone. And I said, well, they're doing something about this with the legislature. She, she says, I sure hope they do. She says, because it's a problem, and I, and it's just, it, if it doesn't come from us, then who's it going to come from, you know? Yeah, and the legislature uh, kind of decided not to move forward with some proposals uh, in, the re- in the recent past uh, to ban cell phones statewide. Would you like to see that happen, Hudson? Oh, absolutely. At schools, you bet. I mean, that just distracts from people getting a good education. We appreciate your phone call. One, uh, one, more, one more quick. Can I have one, one more quick thought? You bet. What's up? I had to go to I had to go to the dentist this morning, and I missed you guys. They were going you were going to say something, or somebody was coming up the fireworks issue. Yeah. Did you talk about that? What did you? Yeah. What was you, the reason? Well, let me ask you first, Hudson. Do you like fireworks, or do you not like fireworks? 
I like fireworks, but I don't like them in the neighborhoods. Oh, well, then you're going to be disappointed to find out that uh, September 17th is Constitution Day in Utah, and there's a proposal on Capitol Hill that people can light off fireworks on Constitution Day. One day. Which is like mid-September. So they're going to add more fireworks for the cul-de-sac dads shows. Here's the problem with this. I, there was there were some neighbors that were letting off some of that big tall fireworks and and they were doing after hours and you know when you call the police department or you call the fire department they pass the buck neither one of them wants to deal with it in fact one guy said I could give a dang less I was using nice words there I could give a dang less if they didn't burn the whole damn city down with some of their fireworks so there's no there's, there's no support yeah well um hudson stay safe out there uh, <laughs> i know you're fr- yeah, i hear your frustration bye uh <laughs> bye. yeah call us anytime for the dentist chair too we don't mind hi robert what's your feeling on cell phone banning in schools go ahead I'm going to show I'm going to show how old I am. I graduated from Cambria Friesland High School in Wisconsin in 1978. So during the 60s and 70s, I had Mr. Finnegan Stalker who looked like Lurch on the Adams family. He would come up to you, grab you by the hair and shake you, which is actually assault and battery. And if you went and complained to your parents, your parents agreed with Mr. Stalker. He would have taken a cell phone. If we had cell phones in 1969, he would have taken the cell phone out of your hand. He would have dropped it on the floor, and he would have stomped on it on his foot, and he would have said, you do this again, and I will slap you. He slapped students. Believe me, nobody ever filed a lawsuit. Nobody ever complained to the school board. And that's where the song came from, Pink Floyd, Leave Those Kids Alone. I'm laughing now, (laughs) but I'll tell you what. This this, this 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 baloney would not have been tolerated by Mrs. Miller, Mr. Miller, yeah. Finnegan Stalker. His name really was Finnegan Stalker. Mrs. <laughs> Sanderson. She used the ruler. She would hit you with a ruler. They can't do that today. I well, I wasn't days. that far behind you in graduating from high school, Robert. I mean, a few years behind you, but I remember there were some tough roads for a lot of kids in elementary school, for sure, because times were different. I mean, they didn't put up with anything. I don't even think uh, one of the kids got called down to the office, and I don't even think his feet touched the floor all the way down. They, were. <laughs> they, they took him down. The teacher took him down to the office, personal delivery. And he went right into the principal's office, and all we could think of was, we don't know if he's going to come out okay. Not that I can own. I don't. You know, that was that was. Those were some hard times, but it was far different than it is today. I don't think teachers would take phones cell phones and crush them we just want to know if you think the legislature should um kind of hold, ban them across the state caitlin johnston our producer um did you have a finnegan stalker um uh, in your high school as a teacher <laughs> i had actually very similar teachers i had a teacher i'll say his name jorg people probably know if they're from carbon county but if you were doing anything wrong or if you were falling asleep, he would slam books on the desk and we would all just be <laughs> jolted. But there were a, we didn't get away with this. And I'm I I'm considered a zillennial millennial. But every time I hear that phones are allowed in classrooms, I am baffled because that was just not the case. We couldn't even have them at lunch. It once the bell rang at the begin in the morning and once three o'clock hit, that's when those are that you could not have a phone. Um, and so I was sneaking them. And if you got caught with one, it was $50. There were no three a strikes. Fine. Yeah, there was a fine. And whoa, 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 were, whoa. Yeah. It, 50 this is, bucks? This is why I'm baffled that they allow them because I, I do think Problem it's a solved. And you grew, up, you grew up in Utah in Carbon County. Yeah, a small town. 
uh, <laughs> a remote part of the state that you have to drive through to get to um, Grand Moab. Moab. Uh, Grand, Grand Junction as well. Grand Junction yeah. in Moab. Okay. So now we've got the visual on with so small town. And you had a cell phone. Was it a smartphone? Yes. Um, once I got into high school, yes, I had a flip phone more going into like junior high. They, it, I, This is why I feel like I have an interesting perspective because I, I grew up in elementary without it got basic phone and then they started to develop and get more advanced kind of in high school. So it just was this phase of kind of figuring it out, but they were so strict with it and we still used them in class, but it was like hiding it under your leg, hiding it in the backpack. You took a chance. Well, sometimes it was really obvious and the teachers just gave up, but I just, I don't think, I think there's a middle ground to having them in the backpack if there's an emergency, if if the kids have discipline, but they are a distraction. I can't even imagine Okay, so I got a text from a substitute teacher that says, I substitute in high schools, and whenever I bring that up, that's exactly what the high school kids say. They have either a, a mental health issue or they have a family emergency. She's like, what do we what do we do with that? Like, how am I supposed to address that? Yeah, I think there's there's a middle ground. I don't, I just, but it's, yeah, for the most part, it should be a consensus that they just aren't in the classroom. So, on, you should be so on them. So from your experience in um, elementary or middle in high school, things have swayed the other way. They, yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's mind boggling to me. I didn't know that they were even allowed until last year when this conversation got louder. Okay, so you just so thought they kept... I was like, no, they... they're not allowed in school. What do you mean? <laughs> And let me, let me just say, and I've talked to a lot of high school kids about this, they are used to cheat up and down mm, all day long. Sure. Cheat, cheat, cheat from the cell phone. Boyd Matheson joining us next, of course, of Inside Sources. Uh, and the twist that he's looking at is regarding uh, name, image, and likeness and looking into whether contracts with college athletes locally should be open for public view and public scrutiny next. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dejanovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Live from Utah's Capitol Hill, this is Eye on the Hill. 15 days remaining. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. This portion of the show is brought to you by Window World. Call Window World of Utah today for the best value in windows and doors. And that's no baloney. Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources. In a moment, Boyd Matheson joining us live from studio to talk about name, image, and likeness and how these deals are going to impact our college athletes here in the state of Utah, um, I want to play some, Dave, in just a second, some audio from his conversation that he had yesterday with Doug Wilkes, who's the executive editor from the Deseret News, because several media organizations are certainly growing concerned about whether these NIL deals will be available for public view. So the public can take a look at 
you know, what these contracts say and if they're in compliance with NCAA regulations. What do you know that you can tee up for us, Dave, about name, image, and likeness and how it is impacting our athletes and our universities right now? Well, Well, let me just say, number one, it's a disaster. It's a disaster just like I predicted, and everyone knew it was going to be. How so? Because it is the wild, wild west. They're trying to do two things. They're trying to pay athletes, but they don't want to make these athletes employees because employees actually have rights. They actually are uh, are required by law to receive certain things. So the, the universities and the NCAA wants to play this weird little world where sure we pay them kind of on the side but they're not employees their contract it is a mess and we are talking about millions and millions of dollars one thing i know about being uh in the utah media since 1990 is we prefer transparency um what comes to government contracts, when it comes to our universities, when it comes to our public agencies, we like the ability on behalf of the public to be able to go in and look at what is going on behind the scenes so we can keep our listeners informed and make sure they're doing everything by the book. Doug Wilkes, who's the executive editor of the Desert News, talked to Boyd about uh, media organizations and the Deseret News' efforts uh, to keep these NIL contracts that athletes and the deals that they're getting involved with public information under the Records Act. Uh, it's called GRAMA that is now uh, part of Utah law. So let's listen to what Doug told Boyd. Their taxpayer-supported institutions and the universities are reviewing the contracts to determine whether they comply with NCAA eligibility rules. Uh, the universities denied the request. We took that. Um, they claimed that they were uh, uh, educational records under FERPA. We took that to um, the arbitration committee, basically um, the, the records arbitration, a seven-person panel who cited uh, unanimously with the Deseret News, and this is what they said, considering the public interest in college sports, the fandom, and the immense revenue, and revenue is a key, this is billions yeah. of dollars, our public institutions capture from athletics, it's apparent to us that a university compliance officer reviewing these contracts to ensure players' eligibility under the rules is indeed conducting the public's business. And they ordered the universities to uh, release the records. Uh, they don't want to do that. They they uh, uh, went to court to try and block it. We're in court with them now. And then the legislature got involved saying, wait, this didn't go in our favor. Let's change the rules. And mm-hmm. uh, so we've been working up at the legislative session to try and uh, stop them from, from making this secret. Transparency is the key. Boyd Matheson joins us right now. And, yeah, the, the legislature is addressing this. They're trying to uh, put in some guardrails and parameters and transparency in this. Boyd, uh, what a fascinating discussion because we're talking about uh, young adults, uh, many times 18 years old, uh, 17 in some rare cases, and we're talking about millions of dollars out there. Yeah, what what could possibly go wrong? Uh, yeah, what possibly could go wrong? Uh, and, and uh, you know, we started my conversation with Doug yesterday talking about the fact that you had Brock Purdy, uh, the quarterback in the Super Bowl for the San Francisco 49ers, made about a fourth as much, a fourth as much as the backup quarterback, the bench player for the University of Texas. 
that's the kind of money that we're we're talking about for these college athletes. Again, young people. Uh, and again, I, I think there's a, a, a case to be made in terms of them getting shares of this revenue. And uh, we think that's a, a good thing. They're clearly uh, generating billions of dollars for the universities. Uh, so that's kind of one component to it. Uh, but then it is the fact that, look, this does need to be done with some transparency for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously, just on the on the high end, just making sure that it is transparent, that there is a process there because the money is so big. Uh, I mean, Dave, you you and I both recall, you know, the the old old days where the booster came around and you know gave handshakes to players with hundred dollar bills in them, and that was you yeah. know that was scandalous. Uh, this is like twenty seven levels beyond that. But here's a really interesting thing. So one of the things that has happened at many universities is in order to kind of pool the money for name, image, and likeness, they've set up these little consortiums or groups of businesses uh, to kind of put all the money in together, and then you kind of divvy it out to the the players and and do it that way. Uh, And to me, that one is the area that is most problematic because then you're actually getting into areas like Title IX Uh, because if this is done – I mean, if it's just one business to one player – that's one issue. If it's yeah. if it's all the community business people coming together and putting a big pool of money together, then how much of that needs to go to the women's gymnastics team or the uh, World Series playing uh, softball team or whatever it might be? And so there's a lot of sticky issues in this whole thing. And, and you predicted it spot on, Dave, uh, that this is the wild, wild west. Uh, and nobody really wants to come to the table for because the, no one wants the transparency because they're afraid – that it might put them at a disadvantage in their recruiting for their team. Boyd, my understanding is that the legislature is looking at the possibility of making these uh, contracts or these deals uh, secret, um, out of public view. Am I correct in my read on that? Yeah, that that is uh, that is one of the things that's, that's working its way through committee. There, there are a lot of different versions and variations in terms of how yeah. that's going to be written. Sure. Um, but but the uh, the argument, as Doug Wilkes pointed out yesterday, the argument is this is these are you know school records, these are private records of students, um, and of course the uh, they're trying to protect them under FERPA, which exactly. is uh, yeah, which is a federal law that protects school records. But that is a really curious argument to me, um, and in some cases it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah Uh, they're getting paid as athletes to play a sport I'm not sure that's the same as uh, divulging, um, you know, you got to see on your algebra test. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think those are slightly amount of money in some cases. (laughs) That's right. It's a different kind of math to be sure. Those are zero numbers that I, uh, I don't work with very well, uh, not being a math person, Uh, but those are real and it it is different. And so I do think, I agree with you, Debbie, that the argument was interesting in terms of that's where they went. Uh, To me, the bigger question is where does it go next? I actually believe this is another area where Utah and a Utah style, model uh, could show the rest of the country how this can be done and done properly. I know there are a lot of people who say, no, we got to keep this private. we got to keep this secure because it will hurt us in our own recruiting. Uh, because if a player feels like, oh, if I go to, you know, if I go to a place in the state of Utah, one of those uh, state universities, everybody's going to know what my deals are. If I go to Alabama or Kentucky, nobody's going to know. And that might make my life a little bit easier. So True. Will, will there be a, a recruiting impact? I think there will. But I think Utah could show a better model. Uh, and that's what I hope out of all of this is that people really come to the table and say, 
how can we actually get this right? And then how can we model that to the nation? And the NCAA is not going to lead out on this. Let's just be really clear on that. They have way too much vested interest in the billions of dollars on the other end of it. So they're not going to lead, but maybe it's a chance for the Utah model once again to show the nation maybe a better way to get it done. Boyd Matheson, thank you. Today, Inside Sources starts at 1. Dave, I asked you to set the scene for me and the listeners uh, in the next uh, few minutes about what these NIL contracts look like, and you went and did a whole bunch of research last night. Is there anything you can tee up for us that you're going to serve up next? Millions and millions of dollars. Millions of dollars going to individual players, some that aren't even playing. Next. A special edition of Dave and Dejanovic, Eye on the Hill, 15 days remaining on KSL News Radio. And in the next couple of weeks, left in the 2024 legislative session, as Dave and I broadcast live up here today, um, we're curious to see what lawmakers decide to do with the name, image, and likeness deals and whether they will. Um, leave them accessible for the media and the public to view as college athletes enter those deals or if they'll attempt to privatize them, Dave. And we just talked to Boyd Matheson about that. Uh, we will continue to monitor the legislation on Capitol Hill to see what lawmakers decide to do. Uh, as a journalist, uh, in my entire career as a journalist, um, in mainly in Utah, I do know that it is valuable to have public oversight of uh, contracts um, that are, you know, um, to the, you know, that might impact uh, Utah. Now, some of might argue these these deals are private. I have a difficult time with that that argument. Um, these are college athletes, oftentimes recruited using taxpayer money, um, given scholarship money as well to participate. Um, not all of them, but many of them are in athlete athletics programs that are largely sponsored through um, public funding. So we'll see where the legislature ends up on this. But you, in the meantime, were doing some research to bring us some perspective as to how much these deals are going for. In some cases, nothing. In most cases, nothing. These athletes aren't making a penny outside of uh, their, their scholarship, right? And that's how it has been for so long. But if you were to ask me, any player in the NBA, in the NFL, in hockey, and you ask me how much they're making, I could tell you exactly how much they're making. I could tell you that the Jazz's top paid player, John Collins, is making $25,340,000 a year. I can tell you exactly how long that contract goes for. And I could do that for any player. How so? It's... It, is it sometimes public it's public record, right? And sometimes it's leaked out and you know, they try to play this game of like, well, we're not going to tell you what the terms of the deal are. We always know. So even if, if the player doesn't want it out there, it gets out there eventually. So we know exactly what these players are worth. Well, when you opened up the door for college athletes to start making money, then this is this is naturally what happens. Sure, you may want to keep it secret. Someone's going to leak it. Someone's going to boast about it, and we start hearing more and more about what these kids are, are making. Now, every state might 
handle these uh, contracts differently and whether they're going to privatize those contracts or make them part of the public record where the public can go in and actually request to see the contract to see if if the athlete and the schools in compliance with uh, NCAA rules yeah because you can't you can't uh, do businesses with or work with businesses that deal with gambling alcohol tobacco there are certain things that college kids can endorse because of the rules so that's why that's why the schools have to be involved with these with these deals to make sure it's still all legal um but you uh went and did a whole bunch of research in the last 24 hours since we last left the show to give us some really good insights as to what some of the athletes are making. Now, you've already disclosed that some athletes don't have deals. They're not yeah. getting brand deals through NIL, but a lot of them are. What did you find? Okay, so I'm going to give you the top five highest paid athletes this year. At the college level. At the college level. Okay. And then I'm going to give you the top five Utah, here in the state of okay. Utah, their valuations. Because remember, they're not publicly releasing these. So this is, we, we went on some websites and started looking up how much this player should be earning. So this is an unofficial thing for the Utah kids. Go for All it. right, let's start off with the, the top paid college athlete. Uh, this one should probably come as no surprise just because of his name. Bronny James. Oh, LeBron's son. LeBron's son, Bronny James, is playing at USC. He's a basketball player. He's a freshman. Uh, he is having, objectively, a terrible season so far. He is just not the impact player. They were talking about him coming for one season then going and playing with his dad in the NBA. He's averaging 5.8 points. Do you know how much he's getting paid? I could do better. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I could do better. Just start okay. jacking up shots from midcourt. You'd probably do better. <laughs> he's averaging less than six points a game, and he's making $6 million a year. How? Is that all cash? Nike. Contracts. Contracts. His dad obviously has a lot of uh, influence, Beats by Dre, you know, the headphones. So uh, obviously he's able to market himself, and he is a very, very well compensated player that has not had any success, very little success uh, in college basketball. Number two. Shador Sanders. Dion's kid? Dion's kid. He's the quarterback for the University of Colorado. Is that He's, where Dion coaches? That's where he coaches. Oh, yeah. that's it. A- yeah, they went from a, a small little school. Yeah. Uh, and then when Dion okay. got hired, they brought he brought his son. His son's one of the best players in the country. Anyway, Shador's making $4 million. A year? Four, $4 million a year. Can that be – that's in in cash? like that, Or that's like a he gets a paycheck for $4 million a year? Is that how – Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now this one's going to surprise you. This one might surprise you a little bit. Uh, number three, the third highest earning athlete uh, in college, is Livy Dunn, a gymnast from LSU, Louisiana State University. She is unbelievably marketable. She has millions of followers on Instagram. And in fact, when LSU came here to Utah, they were playing uh the red rocks they were they were competing against the the women's gymnastics team there was an entire crowd uh, of young men that had come specifically for yeah. levy dunn and, and they got a little rambunctious and wild and uh, she actually had to step in and say hey guys we be 
be normal, <laughs> settle down. Right. But she makes $3.2 million. She's, She's got contacts. deals with Body Armor, American Eagle, Grubhub. Is she the only female on the list that you found in the top five or six? Yeah, but there, but that that kind of goes to the point that football and uh, basketball and gymnastics are the only ones that make money. Who like, is who is number four or five? You... Uh, Arch Manning. Okay. Who's the backup? Boyd referenced this the last segment. He's the backup quarterback at Texas. He's making almost three million dollars a year. He threw five passes last year. See, I could do that. He was completely healthy. And he threw five passes, made $3 million. He's Peyton Manning's kid, uh, or he's Archie Manning's grandson. I can't remember which kid. He's somewhere <laughs> he in the family tree. He's either Peyton or, or yeah. Do you want to save the uh, Utah players uh, for after the break? Oh, we're out of time already. I love yeah, it. No, this is good stuff, yeah. Dave. I'm really curious. We're talking about NIL, name, image, and likeness. Um the Supreme Court op- uh, paved the way with their ruling. What was it a year, a year and a half ago, um, or so, regarding uh, college athletes being able to market their name, image, and likeness? And now this has opened up uh, major bank accounts <laughs> for a lot of college athletes. In the meantime, uh, Utah's Capitol Hill is considering privatizing those contracts uh, that are signed, the deals that are signed by college athletes in Utah, so the public and the media in particular, because um, the media is usually the ones that go in and look at these deals, can't see those contracts. Um, Dave's going to come back in just a few minutes with Utah's top four, five? How many you got Five. Or maybe just four. Okay. Oh, and I see there is a female on this one, too. All right. Okay. So let's talk about the college athlete contracts uh, that are being scored here in Utah next. Live from Utah's Capitol Hill, this is Eye on the Hill. 15 days remaining. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. Now, we don't know ultimately what Utah lawmakers will decide to do if they'll privatize the contracts that. Um, our college athletes in Utah are signing in their these brand new NIL deals, the name, image, and likeness deals that they're signing. But Dave has been laying out, in my view, a really good case as to why these contracts need to s- stay public. Uh, you started with Bronny James's contract. At Six million U- bucks. Yeah, USC, of course, LeBron James' son. Um, you. It, from your research, you found that he's making the most of any other college athlete in the nation right now in NIL deals, Dave? Yeah, he's making $6 million bucks a year, uh, averaging 5.8 points per game. He's making more millions than he's scoring points. Deion Sanders' son? Shador makes $4 million a year. Uh, we're going to bring it home to Utah now. Um, you have definitely um, outdone yourself in the D2 research department on this information, but you're you're a bit very passionate about this. Because you believe this NIL deal situation is a complete disaster. And it's a disaster everybody saw coming. Everybody saw coming. Now, listen, have players been exploited for decades? Absolutely. And we, for too long, we just said, oh, they're getting a free education. Great. That, I don't want to minimize that. That's, that's important. They were getting free education. Maybe they are getting free books and some walking around money. There, there's some good stuff there. 
But they were bringing in, I think of Jimmer Fredette. You remember Jimmer yes, Mania? Yeah. Jimmer Fredette was the biggest player in the nation, not just on college. I mean, LeBron James is tweeting about him. He, I mean, everyone loved Jimmer. BYU basketball player. He was yeah. worth millions and millions of dollars. One of the most prolific scores we've ever seen in this state. He didn't make anything. He didn't make anything. It was illegal to. So there needed to be some change. But what we've done is we've swung way too far to this other side, and now we have people making millions of dollars. Bronny James making millions of dollars. As a freshman. As a freshman. Yeah. Not not even playing one. I didn't mean to stop you, but that just hits me. I mean, was maybe eighteen years old. Yeah, he's now his dad's a billionaire, so you know money's probably not an issue for him. But uh, you're looking at a lot of these these players, and and they're just making a ton of money. Now, this isn't just for uh, the men. Women are making big money too. Olivia Dunn, Livy Dunn, is making three million dollars, three point two million dollars as a gymnast at LSU. So I wanted to see, okay, well, why are they trying to keep all of this information so quiet? Because I wanted to see who are the top earners here in Utah as athletes. And obviously this is like closely guarded secrets. And the best I could get was evaluation. So oh, Sports like a, Illustrated. Okay, like a price tag on, on what they what they think their worth is. Exactly. Okay. So I have no idea if this is what they're making because that – information is not really out there uh, but this is what sports illustrated said they think these athletes are worse now now remember part of this nil deal up at the university of utah got every single scholarship athlete a brand new sixty thousand dollar truck i know i we talked about that i was shocked because i was all on board with nil like, and then i saw the trucks roll out under the football the stadium. nicest truck they'll ever own stop it Yeah, brand new truck. Oh, and then the women's basketball team all got SUVs. And the men's basketball team got all SUVs. What did the women's softball team get? Nothing. How about the men's baseball team? Oh, I'm glad you asked about that. Oh, they got nothing. And the track team? Nothing. Oh. Now, I mean, nothing compared to... Like comparatively speaking, they were winning. now they they claim they're trying to work toward that and raise enough money to be able to provide that, but there are some very haves and have nots so in that, college that's, sports. That's a sign of like, don't hold your breath. We'll get back to you. Don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, so what are you able to find with the Utah's top valuations? Okay, let's I, the the ones I found uh, in the Sports Illustrated article were just gave the top four, and they were all University of Utah oh. players. BYU is a private school. They're able to keep everything, you know, in-house and, and much more okay. quiet. So Grace McCallum, gymnast oh, yeah. with the Red Rocks, mm-hmm. uh, is valued at $164,000. That's a lot of money. But Tons it's of money. not as much as, you know, Olivia, Olivia Dunn is making. Yeah. At $3.2 million. Yeah. Well, Grace McCallum's got you know, 400,000 plus followers on Instagram. She's very, very successful, you know, team USA, silver medalist. So again, I don't know if she's making more. I don't know if she's making less. Uh, Number three, uh, a player that probably most college football fans have never heard of Lander Barton. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I don't follow the Utes as closely as everybody else does here because I am just a Sun Devil, ASU Sun Devil. Go Sun Devils. They beat the Utes the other night on the basketball court. Um, Jeez, I, I know. Gloves I up. know. <laughs> Gloves up. Forks up, man. Uh, so I hadn't heard of Lander Barton. Uh, where, what is he? He's valued at $182,000. 
dollars. He's a linebacker. Yeah, okay. and he's a really good defensive player. Uh, you, you know, young kid. I think he's a freshman. I, I would have assumed that the number one player, the top paid player, would have been a quarterback. Again, you look at the quarterbacks oh, across sure. the country. Oh, sure, Cam Rising. I thought for sure he. I thought he'd be up um, pretty high. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would have thought he would have been very high because, again, you know, you look at Shador Sanders making four million. Arch Manning's the backup at Texas. He's making three million. The, the actual quarterback. Wow. The, the actual quarterback at, at Texas is making four million dollars. So they've got seven million dollars oh, set aside just for two guys. Cam Rising is valued at two hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars. Oh, I thought he was. I thought I would. I would have least. He's a phenomenal player. Yeah. He's incredible. Well, he is the, seems to love him. He's the face of the franchise. Like you talk about Utah mm-hmm. football, it is Cam Rising. So if he's not number one, Dave, who is? You're not going to believe this. A tight end, Brant Keithy, who is valued at almost half a million dollars. Now, he's a phenomenal tight end. He is absolutely outstanding. So is outstanding. he like the next Travis Kelsey? Well, no. <laughs> no, he's not. I mean, he's he's a great he's a great tight end. You know, who, who knows? Who Who's going to be? Oh, I know. The, you know, but uh, just but no, just, no, no. He's he's not comparison. the can't miss candidate. He's not going to be the number one pick but in the he's NFL worth draft. Five hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Now here is here's the. Let me just wrap this up. Here's the problem. When you keep this all under wraps and and there's no transparency whatsoever, then we have no idea who's getting paid what. What is fair? And the reason they want to keep this all silent is you don't want to say, oh, look at this player. Bronny James, he's making $6 million. I'm the leading scorer on USC's basketball team, averaging over 20 points a game, and I'm getting $50,000. A lot of jealousy, a lot of anger can build up there, and it can rip a team apart. If you can keep it quiet, if you can keep it hidden under, uh, you know, under the mattresses, then we can just all pretend like, oh, I don't know what he makes. I don't know what they make. But it's why I think it's crucial to have this transparency and to know what everyone's making so we're all playing on a level uh, field. Fist pump. Great work. Really great work, Dave. That was incredible. Um, loved everything you shared with us. If you missed it, you've got to podcast it. Uh, you can podcast that uh, last 45 minutes. Actually, we started with Boyd Matheson and what he knows about the NIL situation going on in Capitol Hill. Dave, um, yeah, hit it out of the park, absolutely, with full coverage on what the deals are across the country and then drilled it down to the deals here at home. Amazing insight. Um, you can podcast it on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, as you're listening to the show, make sure you're listening for those keywords because we are doing our AirPod contest right now for AirPod Pros, and it's exclusive for our awesome podcast listeners. Next, uh, did you know we're going to get your buddy, your pickleball buddy, live on the line, TJ? TJ's calling the show next because we read a study that pickleball-related injuries are on the rise. Uh, Dave is, um, he's new to the pickleball game, the pickleball world, but he's crushing it. And we're going to talk about um, the injuries. And Dave's had a couple of his own. Um, He'll disclose those straight ahead. A special edition of Dave and Dejanovic. Eye on the Hill, 15 days remaining on KSL News Radio. I was thinking we should have surveyed the lawmakers we've been speaking to this morning to ask them if they've taken up the game of pickleball since it's become a huge hit. Because a lot of people 
are loving it, including Dave Noriega, my co-host, and his buddy TJ, who's waiting on the line. Uh, so when Dave spotted an article um, at NBCNews.com, it said pickleball injuries have increased 200% over the last 20 years. He's like, well, I'm not surprised because everybody's playing pickleball right now. But then you also said something that was really quite profound. What am I supposed to do? Sit on the couch, be bored, uh, walk in a straight line, never get injured, because this is just doing wonders for me physically and mentally. Yeah, I, I don't I don't care if I was guaranteed to break my femur. I would still <laughs> play. I, I do not care because I love pickleball. You know how many times I've jogged in the last five years? Mm, not as many as me. Zero. <laughs> Zero. But do I play pickleball two to three times a week for two hours a day? Yeah. Absolutely. It's a release of uh, like emotional anxiety or just mental, keeping your mental health in check after like, we have some crazy shows. Like, yeah. I know we make it sound like smooth as butter on the air. Ha ha ha. <laughs> uh, but behind the scenes, sometimes you and I come off the air and we both look like maybe we haven't <laughs> slept in two weeks and eaten in a month. Honestly, it is shocking we stay as good of friends as we do uh, because it's it can get a little like all the information in, information out, all the tension and the stress it can get to be a lot well i i tell you i used to play a lot of basketball basketball was kind of my sport and i'd play a couple times a week uh and then covid hit and where we played basketball at our church they shut it down they they're like no more basketball during covid so we had to find another another sport and we picked up pickleball uh, me and my buddies and we started playing and we fell in love with it tj's on the line right now you put up with this guy tj I know, I do. I don't know. I don't know why I do. He's trying to. He's trying to break my femur multiple times playing pickleball. Well, I'm just curious, Dave. Have Dave? Have you ever had any pickleball injuries? Uh, n- nothing serious, though. I just, uh, I, I just about broke a rib of TJ's uh, a couple weeks ago. How so? <laughs> well, well, you know, Dave's not the smallest guy, and I'm not either. And you picture those two big trucks running into each other on a pickleball court, and oh, that no. was us. Oh gosh. Who won? Dave. Dave won. <laughs> I love it. So so I I love your your message though, TJ, um, that Dave was telling me about just a few moments ago about what pickleball has done for you in a in a injuries aside, physical injuries aside, for just your, your perspective. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean I I never was probably in the, the peak shape of my life, but I think it was probably three or four years ago, I was turning 40, and my thought was, I need to get in shape. And I was the guy that walked in a straight line every day, right? Like, I I wasn't a guy that went to the gym. I would go on walks. um, And then kind of same thing for me. Our our best friends started playing some pickleball. We started playing with them. And all of a sudden, those walks each day I was taking, then that turned into two-hour pickleball time frames, three-hour pickleball time frames, and then once a week, twice a week, three, four, five times a week, playing for a couple hours at a time. And I've never been in better shape because of it. Were you ever uh, worried about, like, uh, injuries, right? Because I I remember playing basketball. The older I got, the more serious the injuries started piling up. Well, it's funny. It's kind of almost the same thing as you, Dave. I actually – I broke my ankle playing church basketball – roughly around the same time I started playing pickleball. And to me, after breaking my ankle on a basketball court, 
like I'm fearful to step back on the basketball court, but it's something mentally different when I go on a pickleball court. I don't think about that. And so I luckily I haven't had any injuries, um, at least significant ones yet playing pickleball. Um, do I feel like a 75 year old man after playing for a couple hours? Yes. But that's just the getting older, right? Hey, 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 we have a lot of 75-year-old men. <laughs> TJ's views do not necessarily represent uh, the views of KSL. I'm kidding. Do you feel like you're in uh, like better mental health shape too, TJ, with it? Yeah. You know, if you look at it, in some of the studies as well, I'm not sure if some of the same ones that you guys have read, I think it, when you're out on the court, even just how quick some of the movement is with when you're striking the ball back and forth, you know, you have to stay alert. And I think some of the studies show that too of like it's, it's helped with people's mental state with being, being able to stay alert and, and, uh, and, and just being able to, uh, to kind of better yourself where you're not just kind of sitting down and doing nothing and sitting on the couch and watching TV all day. Yeah, I love it. Congrats. Well, Teach, thanks for uh, not totally embarrassing me. You did a good job. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll play later today. <laughs> just just remind, just text us, TJ, every time you beat Dave on the pickleball court so we can hold it over his head when he walks into the morning meetings. That'd Thanks so much. Text. Thanks for sharing your perspective. I think we can see studies like this that say, you know, there's 200% increase in injuries. There's probably also a lot more people on pickleball. There's a lot more pickleball courts, so there's a lot more opportunities for people to get hurt. But I always, I'm a big fan of just getting out there and having fun. It's a great, it's a great physical activity and it's great for your mental health. There's about 36 million pickleball players in the wow. United States. It's the fastest growing sport. My mom's 77 years old. We play one to two times a week Good. And, and she plays all the time. Now, is there, is there a danger? Is there a threat of getting injured? Yeah. Especially when you're a brand new player, there's movements that you've got to be careful about. Uh, in, in this study, what they found is women primarily are breaking hands, wrists, fingers, Guys are the ones that are ending up in the hospital with broken femurs and broken hips. That's big. So they're they're much more serious. Um, so anyway, there there is definitely a a, a danger to it. Well, let's call it, it a risk factor. There, as every sport is. If you go yeah. skiing, there's a risk factor. Did I ever tell you about the time I was running along Fort Union Boulevard up by Big? Cotwood Canyon, and I was just running along, minding my own business, training for a race, and I tripped on the sidewalk, and I flipped myself into the street. I was fine because it was 6 o'clock in the morning, but talk about you just, you could yeah. get injured doing anything. Yep. I've taken a header jogging. <laughs> hey, Maria's up next. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor Day. Caitlin, look over here at me. Are they in the studio? Okay, so the Gov and Maria are back at Broadcast House. And they'll be with you in just a second. So keep it right here for Let Me Speak to the Governor. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dejanovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now, you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.